When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Hey, Holly. Hey, Dave. What's going on with yourself today on the What Difference Does It Make podcast? Oh, I am feeling peachy keen today, Dave. How about you? Peachy keen, that reminds me from Greece. Peachy keen, Jimmy Dean, or I don't know, something like that. <laughs> I don't know if that was exact, but it's, it's old school radio, which is where our guest came from. He's kind of old school. He, lear- he learned his chops in the mid-60s. This is Dennis Constantine. And what can you tell me about Dennis Constantine, Holly? Dennis Constantine is a pioneer in the AAA format, but he's programmed all kinds of radio stations, uh, Top 40 and Classic Hits. And we're very happy to get him for this. Yeah, I would almost say he's the godfather of AAA radio. He is the one who kind of discovered a niche uh, when he was in Denver, Colorado, and it was KBCO that he developed and became so successful that he branched out uh, this format into other cities and it's helped uh, frame my music discovery comes from these radio stations. So uh, I definitely wanted to get Dennis into our virtual studios and talk with him and uh, learn a little bit about the stations and also about some songs. What are we doing here, Holly? What's the second part of our episode? Oh, we'll be talking about the songs from 1986 on the K-Rock year-end chart, numbers 70 to 61. In 86, he was at KBCO. So I'm kind of curious to see if he knew these songs and if they actually did play these songs and what he thinks of these songs and all that fun stuff. We spoke to Dennis for quite a little while. So you can find outtakes from this chat with Dennis on our YouTube channel at What Difference Does It Make Podcast. And we'll be posting some on our social media at WDDIM Podcast. All right. So why don't we just get into it right now? This is Dennis Constantine on the What Difference Does It Make Podcast. Hi there. (gasps) Well, hello there. Hi. Oh, you have a great background. Oh, yeah. This is my my home office and studio. So when you when you say the the home off is this Prescott Arizona where are yep, you? Yep, this is Prescott Arizona. Yes. How did you end up there? You know, we left San Francisco. It was too expensive to live there, and we were looking for a place that would be affordable and would be a beautiful place to be. And we, you know, we thought about returning to Portland or to Boulder, Colorado, but they have also become so expensive. So uh, we found Prescott, Arizona, and we found this beautiful lot, built a house on it, and. Here we are. Have you gone to the Grand Canyon? Is that like uh, oh yeah, yeah. every, every week? You go, yeah, yeah, gone there like a few the, times actually. For sunrise, we get up and drive up there and watch the sun come up. <laughs> That's your hike. I, our hike is uh, you know just up in the Santa Monica Mountains. You're going to an actual wonder of the world. Yeah, yeah it's pretty amazing. Yeah, and the hiking around Sedona. I mean, there's so much good. I think there are more hiking trails here in Prescott than there are anywhere else in the country. So it's a real outdoors area. It's great. I just looked at your CV and the thing at the bottom says VP programming. You didn't just start out at VP programming at the Noble <laughs> Broadcast Group. How did, where did you start out at? Well, I, I grew up in Baltimore. So my first radio jobs were around my home in Baltimore. And in 1969, I, I started working at a station in Annapolis, WYRE. WYRE, keep on moving with the Doobie Brothers. 456 with Dennis Constantine at the Wire. And uh, it was a great AM Top 40 station. It was on the bay and had a huge signal. They hired me to do the midday show. And within uh, a few months, the program director accepted a job at another one of the company stations. And they said, we need a new PD. How about you, Dennis? Would you like to be PD? (laughs) 
I had no idea what a program director does. I was, you know, a young kid in radio. It sounded like it was they, volunteer job. Yeah. Yeah. So they gave me the, I became the program director and I did that for like four years and learned everything I could from listening to all the great top 40 stations, WFIL and CKLW and WLS and mm-hmm. CFL and BZ, all, you know, basically learned by imitation and uh, also got to talk to some really smart programmers at the time, Paul Drew and John Rook. And uh, eventually John hired me to go to Y100 in Miami. And uh, I was there in 73 and 74. And then he sent me, John said, I got an opening in Denver at a top 40 station. Would you like to be the music director? And I went there. Big Ron O'Brien was the PD and uh, he was an amazing air talent. Okay, it's 241 with Big Ron O'Brien pumping out the platters on the request line at 573-5855 or 573-KTLK. Getting a lot of calls for this one this afternoon. I will send this one out especially to Crazy Marsha in Bomar who called me this afternoon wanted to hear this song. I didn't even think there was a Bomar. I think Bomar's a myth. And we had a really smoking hot top 40 station in Denver. We were beating the longtime top 40 station there, Kim. And then at that point, I had like number one ratings. I, I was the night DJ. So I was like the crazy night DJ. And I had huge ratings. And the AOR station in town wanted to bring some of those younger listeners over. And they hired me to come in and do the morning show. And that's how I switched from top 40 to rock. That was KBPI in Denver. And I did that for a year. And then... Um, I heard about this man in Boulder that was buying a FM station and I saw an opportunity for a new format. And so I went and pitched him and gave him my idea and he hired me and that's how KBCO was born. The Outlaws from the Hurry Sundown album, Here in My Heart Talkin'. Fine, fine music. Joni Mitchell did Twisted from Court and Spark. Love and Spoonful, John Sebastian, Darlin' Be Home Soon, and the Greg Allman Band, the Come and Go Blues. 25 before 11 o'clock, and this is Dennis with you tonight till midnight, and we'll have our album, which is Dan McCorrison tonight. Tomorrow night, Nitty Gritty Dirt Band, Dream, and Saturday night, Marshall Tucker and their first album. The newest smash hit movie that everyone is talking about these days, of course, is Star Wars. Tomorrow night and Saturday night, they're again having their special midnight showing of Star Wars because the lines have been so long. They're a little shorter at the midnight show. Admission will be the same price as the earlier shows. At Star Wars, the new Space Odyssey, one that reaches the pinnacles of imagination. The Flatirons Theater, now playing on the hill, with a special midnight show tomorrow and Saturday nights. And may the Force be with you. And stayed there for 20 years. You saw an opportunity. What was it that you saw? You know, there was freeform radio. And right. So, so yeah. we had a freeform station that was still on the air. They lost, they sold their FM and they were just on an AM daytimer, the freeform KFML. Uh, KBPI was a freeform station when I first started working at the top, the uh, AOR station. And somewhere during the time I was there, they decided that they needed to get serious. Uh, and they couldn't just have the DJs pick and play whatever they wanted. So the program director came up with a format of 185 songs that were like the best space songs for rock. And we had a competitor, KZY. I mean, there's a lot of rock, rock stations in Denver. KZY was doing the uh, Abrams Superstars format. So between KZY and KBPI then tightening down to 185 songs, I felt there was an opportunity for a station that could be in the spirit of progressive, the old progressive stations, but more focused on being connected to the local music scene because Colorado had a very active music scene at the time. It was Michael Murphy, Dan Fogelberg, Stephen Stills, you know, Judy Collins, all these singer songwriters were living in Colorado. We created this station that kind of was singer songwriter based. And then right after we went on the air, that was 1977, new wave and punk hit. So we thought, well, you know, this kind of fits. And so we started working that music in and it became a full service kind of like new rock and acoustic station. (laughs) It was was an eclectic mix, but it worked. And And Denver loved it. And after we put on KBCO, we got a couple more AOR stations in Denver. We got 96KX and then we got 
One, one of the big companies put a, a rock station on. It was commercial free rock has come to Denver. And they did that at several of their stations. But then after the summer was over, they started running commercials and they kind of blew their whole idea. I think we had four rock stations plus KBCO. With all of that, we rose to the number one station in the market. And they were all scratching their heads going, what is this station that's playing this weird mix? How did they get to be the number one station? And we stayed there. It became the number one billing station in town. It was pretty exciting time. So everyone's scratching their head, but you knew what it was. What what was the secret sauce that was attracting Denver listeners? You know, we really played on the Boulder identity of the station because Boulder is this kind of iconic college town that's 35 miles out of Denver. And when I lived in Denver, we would go to Boulder for the weekend to get out of the city because it was kind of this fun place to go. So the idea was, let's take that concept of Boulder and put it on the radio so that people in Denver can escape the city by turning the radio to 97.3 and kind of get this different vibe. So it did sound different than everything else. It was not slick. We didn't have jingles or we didn't have production elements. It was just DJs talking and playing music, kind of like we've invited you into our home. Let's, you know, let's explore some music together. So it was really about music discovery and then just really finding cool album cuts to play, you know, from people's favorite bands. I mean, I remember when Jeff Pollock came through town once and he was listening to the station. He says, you know, I was listening to the station. I, I know that's super tramp, but I didn't know the song. I know that, the, you know, they were, we were playing deeper tracks by the popular artists. It really worked well. It's always a wonder how without, I mean, you just instinctually knew that it would, it was good for the market. No music testing or anything yeah. like that. back. Oh then. yeah. There was none of that stuff. Yeah. <laughs> it was all, it was all by gut and it paid off. So when KBCO went to number one, you know, radio is kind of a follow the leader format. And so suddenly, you know, a lot of it got the attention of managers in other markets because, you know, at that point there wasn't the big conglomerates. It was all these individual owners around the country. You know, they were calling up saying, you know, can you help us out? And I said, well, this station's customized for Colorado. You can't just take the playlist and put it on another market and expect it to work. So I got hired by WHFS in Washington. Dave Einstein, who was the program director, called me and he says, we're not doing well. We have new owners. They want to see us do better. Can you come help us out? I, I went to Washington. You know, yeah, I know the market. I grew up in Baltimore, Washington, so I knew the market well. And I gave him some ideas and I said, there's some opportunities here. And we explored it and we took them into a more of a new music direction. They were still playing Grateful Dead album cuts and kind of like they were the hippie radio station kind of left over, but they had a one share. And we started playing some of the new, we called it modern rock at the time. And they got up to a three and a half share in Washington. So they, they did really well. And then once that came, then I got a call from the Beasleys in Austin and they were having problems with their station. And I went to Austin and they took me down on 6th Street and we saw all this great music. And next morning in the conference room, they saying, well, what should we do? And I said, well, you took me to hear all this great music in Austin last night. Why isn't that music on the radio? I'd listen to the Austin stations and they've got a mix and a magic and they've got all these kind of like generic sounding radio stations, but there's nobody that sounds like Austin. So we created a station that sounded like Austin. And it just went from there. It went to Phoenix and Los Angeles. And next thing I know, I had clients all around the country who wanted to develop a sound specifically for their market. Because each AAA station, and still today, each AAA station sounds different than the next. There's no kind of like cookie cutter formula. Every station has developed a sound that fits their particular market. So I think that's been kind of the, the calling card for, you know, what's worked for AAA radio. Can I cut to today? Because there's a new AAA station in yeah. Seattle. Mm -hmm. There used to be the mountain that had its heyday. Um, right. What's going to make this Seattle uh, AAA station in Seattle yeah. click? What yeah, I mean, think? the mountain was a special radio station. Right. I consulted them and it was like, yeah, Chris Mays, the program director, used to say it's kind of like KBCO in the rain. <laughs> you know, and that was kind of, it had this vibe to it when you listen to it, it just sounded like Seattle. And it was unfortunate that the the owners of the station just didn't understand that and they just didn't uh, support it. So at some point it flipped and Seattle is certainly a market that will do well with AAA and uh, they have good people there that are programming it. I think, I think they're going to do fine. This setup, this beautiful setup you have in your house, are you on air anywhere right now? I am. I'm on the air actually right now on uh, KVNA in Flagstaff. And I've got the, on the screen here, I've got the uh, computer screen and I've, I've already put my voice tracks in so that we could have this interview. But I do afternoons here in uh, Arizona every day. And then I'm also consulting uh, stations in Boston and Burlington and a couple in Wyoming. So I'm still keeping busy and working here. <laughs> 
here at home, so that's fine. <laughs> you were always Dennis Constantine on the air. Yeah. You never changed your name. No one ever said, <laughs> we need you to be yeah. Dennis Knight. We need you to be Dennis Day. We need yeah, you to be so, so Dennis I had an Wild. Uncle, Gus Constant. Yeah, I had an uncle, Gus Constantine, who was on the radio in Baltimore. And he used the name Russ Andrews. Russ Andrews, right? You know, <laughs> big voice announcer. And I thought that all DJs, they had made up names. So when I went to my first radio job in 1967 in a town of Westminster, Maryland, a, a suburb of Baltimore, I was getting ready to go on the air and I was talking to the manager of the station. I said, I'm going to be Dennis Stevens because Stevens is my middle name. So I'll be Dennis Stevens. He says, what? No, you're crazy. Constantine, that's a great name. Use Dennis Constantine. I went, okay. And so that's <laughs> that was it. I would have been Dennis Stevens otherwise. <laughs> Wow. How about uh, that? It's nice to hear somebody wants you to use your real name. Yeah, I know. That was a rarity. <laughs> was it always radio for you? Okay, 67, you were you were a baby. We were probably still in high school or something. <laughs> uh, yeah, I graduated in 66. Uh, and actually, yeah. my first job, my first real radio job was in 1966. I was kind of like the, the gopher at the top 40 station. And I would go and play the records at the record hops and, you know, and help the DJs pull records and answer request lines and that kind of stuff. Because I knew I wanted to be in radio from a very early age. In fifth grade, I was a safety patrolman and the top 40 station, WCAO, sent a scout to our school and they wanted to find somebody to do a public service announcement on the radio that would say, hey, school's back in, watch out for us kids, you know, we're, we're little, you could, you know, drive carefully, blah, you know, that kind of thing. So my mom drove me down to the radio station. I was selected yeah, they did voice tests and they selected me to to, to be the, the voice. And she drove me down to the radio station. And this was still in, they were still in the studio that they had during the big band era where they had these huge studios with these thick walls and big, heavy doors. And, uh, and I go into this production room and it's like this studio is big enough for an orchestra. I mean, it's like huge room. And the only thing that's in there is this, this table in the middle of the room with a microphone and a couple of engineers in the booth over there. And they give me the script and I recorded it. And after it was over, I went in and I said, can I see that room that you're in there? And they took me back there. And I said, so your job is just to sit here in this room and push buttons and turn knobs all day. They said, yeah, that's pretty much it. I said, I want to do that for a living. <laughs> and so I went out and got myself a couple of turntables and a tape machine and a microphone. And I, you know, in fifth, sixth, seventh grade, I had a little radio station set up in my bedroom and I was practicing being a DJ. And then when I got to high school, I started a radio club and we convinced an, a, a college FM station to let us do shows on there. And so, yeah, it was like destined for me. I, I just knew that's what I wanted to do right from the beginning. I just was fascinated with it talking about Dennis and his life in radio and having a great time but as we do full stop take a break and we'll be right back we took it all we brought them to our land an endless night ember hot and icy cold the rage of the earth we made this curse carved it in the blood on our backs we did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. And we're back on the What Difference Does It Make podcast with Dennis Constantine. And we'll start our look at the songs played on K-Rock back in 1986, number 70 to 61. When you're at BCO and MTV's taking over and there's this new way, you know, you're, you're starting to hear Duran Duran, you're starting to, mm -hmm. you know, music is changing. Is BCO changing? How did you evolve during this time? We certainly embraced that music. Yes. Yeah, we became the new rock station in the 80s when MTV was big. We didn't have MTV on the cable system in Boulder area. So we would go out to nightclubs and put on video shows. I got the record companies to send me videos. And so I created these video reels and we would go out and we'd pack the place with people just sitting around drinking, watching music videos because it was such a phenomenon at that point. That's really interesting. We had, we've had we yet to hear something like that yet. We know there were a lot of markets where MTV was not in the beginning, but what a yeah. great idea and a great yeah. 
community event. Back then, wasn't it only, it was, there was no baseball team. It was only the Broncos, right? Yeah, the Broncos. Yeah, the so, Broncos were. Yeah, summertime. What are you going to do? We're going to watch, we'll watch videos. Let's watch yeah, videos. So <laughs> I remember, you know, doing the morning show, the Broncos, they were so dominant in the market that one morning, one Monday morning, I got on the air and I said, good morning. And I got complaint calls. <laughs> Don't say it's a good morning. The Broncos lost yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> People are very serious about their Broncos. Well, there you go. Community-based. That's community-based radio right there. <laughs> yeah. All right. So we're going to talk about songs that Cairo Q in Los Angeles played way back in 1986. Um, right. This is from their top 106.7 songs. We're taking on 10 song chunks. And the chunk that you have are songs numbers 72, 61. Did you watch any of these videos? Did you? Uh, yeah. How much yeah, of yeah. studying did you do? Of course you studied. I know you're a radio yeah. nerd. I know you did. I know you. Of course. Yeah. You got a really great chunk of 10 songs here, I think. Yeah, yeah. 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 I mean, they are good songs. We're going to count them down as we do. We're following, following. Counting uh, down. Yeah. The, the small, Casey Kasem with a countdown. Of, <laughs> yeah. The smaller the number, the bigger the hit. Okay. So number right. 70 is by the Talking Heads, Love for Sale. This is the first of three that were on this chart. What did you think of uh, Talking Heads at this time? I'm sure Talking Heads fan, they're a big deal. They had Stop Making Sense and now they're doing another movie. What the, And where were you with Talking Heads at this point? Uh, well, Talking Heads were uh, definitely a core artist for us. I mean, we played tons of Talking Heads. Now, the True Stories album, you know, by the time that album came out, they just, they didn't have the, you know, the kind of unique sounds that you got when you first heard Talking Heads. I mean, you know, we played their first few albums, played the hell out of them. Right. So by the time we got to True Stories, we were not playing very many of those songs. And I don't know this song. I've never heard the song Love for Sale before. But, you know, I thought, yeah, very much like Devo, you know, it's, it's interesting. It's, you know, it's a, a different sound for them, but yeah, it was, uh, it was a song that I totally missed. So it was kind of refreshing to hear it. There's a lot of lost songs. <laughs> the video for this was so much really fun. Did you watch the video? Yeah. With all yeah, yeah. The, the old commercials. Yeah, this was yeah. great. Uh, yeah. But, uh, yeah. Yeah. I, I didn't Did see that it take either. place in Texas, that movie? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Uh, I think I, maybe I did see it. I think this was what really broke apart the talking heads was just David Byrne going, you know, oh, suddenly he's yeah. the star. It's David Byrne and talking heads. And I don't think yeah. like, the rest of the band was too happy with the. <laughs> yeah. And actually, it was set in a fictional Texas town. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I do remember that. I do remember seeing that. Yeah, then they became the heads. I remember that. When, when <laughs> oh, David Byrne left. That's right. Heads. That's right. Keep trying. Let's see if we can keep the band together. Let's... <laughs> I don't blame them. I don't blame you. Got a good thing going. Uh, yeah, you think the Talking Heads will ever get back together? Do like a, a final? I don't know, well. but I remember seeing the, their shows. That, that, yeah. that The tour that became Stop Making Sense, I was at that show at Red Rocks, and it was astounding yeah. it's incredible what is magical about red rocks tell me about red yeah. rocks oh it is like first of all the acoustics are perfect there you, you know you can go in it's like a it's it's a, a state park you can go in there and i had a friend go stand down on the stage and then i went and sat in the back row and we were just having a conversation back and forth the, the acoustics are so perfect uh and it's interesting because when the first concert i went to there was in 1974 the year before they had had uh, a riot with at a jethro tall concert where people had knocked down the fence and tear gas went into the arena and everybody who was at the show got tear gas and so the city of Denver said, no more rock concerts at Red Rocks, these unruly kids. And so 
I went to this show and it was John Denver and it was solo <laughs> acoustic in this arena, <laughs> this 9,000 seat arena. And looking down at the stage, he had two tiny little speakers, one on each side of the stage. It looked like like living room speakers. And that was it. That was the sound system. And the sound was perfect. It was, and there was, there was this light breeze blowing and the sound was like flowing back and forth with the wind. And it was, it was magical, you know? And then through the years they started, okay, well, acoustic shows. And they started letting more and more shows in. And now there's a show every night at Red Rocks. And through the years, the speaker stacks went from those two little speakers to these huge stacks to now where they have hanging speakers. And I went to see a fish concert there where they they hung speakers all on the rocks on the <laughs> side, you know, to give a, a surround sound. And so, yeah, so now they're way overpowering. It's, it's typical, you know, turn it up louder. And so now they're way overpowering the venue, which doesn't need a lot of amplification, but it is an amazing place. You're surrounded by these incredible rocks and then you're sitting up and looking down at the stage and the city of Denver is beyond you. And yeah, it's just, it's glorious. It's it's just a beautiful place. Definitely worth going. Uh, all right. Let's keep moving here. Number 69, Simple Minds, All the Things yeah. She Said. I, uh, another great song. Don't you look back on a big love world. Don't you look down like the hero said. Take me to the street where the bonfires burn. Take me in your arms and I'll fade away when I hear you say what you've got to say. We played the sh- we played the heck out of it. Yes, <laughs> you could say shit. Yeah. That's okay. Yeah, we don't, radio, we don't have FCC rules here. Uh, yeah, we we played that song a lot. That was like one of our big songs. Great song, but did you watch the video? All the things she said. Uh, I can't say that I have seen the video. <laughs> okay. Did you watch the video, Holly? I did. Of I mean, course, it- I did. It was very effects. They could have just been playing there, but the effects were, you know, there were multiples of them and they were just kind of flying by. It was very effect heavy as a lot of videos were at the time. Jim Kerr has like an owl on his hand while, you know, and he's got the mullet. It's just the mullets. You keep making you, you keep talking about the mullets, but that was the look. I know it was 86. Did you have a mullet? What was your hair like, Dennis? Tell me, tell me in 86. Did you, there you go. Big. Was it big and puffy or did you shape it out? Big and puffy. Big and puffy. Yeah, it, it's it, my hair curls. My, <laughs> okay. wife, my wife loves it when I let it grow out and gets all curly. Yeah, but uh, yeah, it's that was my natural look. For the podcast, we're going to need um, some puffy. Uh, a shot okay, of you with the puffy I'll get hair. you a puffy photo. Yeah, I love that. <laughs> yeah, we love doing that. So, Dave, did you did you, did you like the song? Was this among your? Oh yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, this is a great song. It's it's it is a great song. Yeah, just yeah. that the guitar licks and just mm-hmm. uh, 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 yeah, everything about this song except for the video yeah. is wonderful. Yeah, <laughs> uh, and yeah. Just hearing it today, like like oh, I could I could listen to this all the way through. Still yeah. great. Still holds and, up. And we st- we still program it on our AAA stations. Do today, you? Okay. So, yeah. Yeah. Very good. Yeah, that's actually mm-hmm. also what I'd like to hear. Let's move on. Number 68, In Excess, Listen Like Thieves. Now, was it, this was kind of a new and upcoming band. Was this something that uh, that the BCO audience might be interested in? We were way into In Excess right from the very first album. Yeah, we definitely played this a lot for sure. In Excess was, you know, one of our core bands. Did the, they come into the station at all? Do you do any promotions around them? Not that I know of. No, I don't think they ever came by. I need stories, man. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> like radio promotions. What was as the pre-D? Did you feel like you had to do something above and beyond? Oh, yeah. Okay. So like, give me an example. What's your favorite? All right, so, so, you know, we, we always had special weekends. So we, you know, we, you know, with a staff of 20 some people, 
we could put together just an amazing weekend programming. The, the one thing, though, I think that most people will remember about KBCO was our April Fool's broadcasts. Wow. We spent three months working on this promotion for one day. We launched it, I think the first time we did it was 1979 or 1980, somewhere around there. But basically, people who woke, woke up on April 1st, they heard this bizarre radio station that was broadcasting from 50 years in the future. <laughs> and somehow the time track had gotten off sync and the radio station from the future was beaming in to 1979, 1980, whatever. I convinced our owner to blow off all the commercials for the day. What? So, we, so what we did is we created a whole new universe of commercials. We wanted the radio station to sound the same as it did, except that it was from the future. So we spent three months brainstorming. So what are the products, you know, how, so, so we created a history timeline where in 1999, the world, the tensions around the world became so intense that we were blow up each other and the missiles were launched and the aliens who have been watching from a distance came in and basically stopped all the missiles midair, came down and said, you idiots, you're about to blow up this beautiful planet. We're going to help you save it. And they gave us all this modern technology like time travel and all sorts of things. So suddenly we had the history. So then we created all the commercials for what future products would be like. We had a pocket time shifter where you could jump ahead two or three hours at a time and you know move back in time, all sorts of crazy space travel. And then we did parodies of current commercials. So the whole day, the listeners were hearing this radio station that was basically celebrating 50 years ago musically. They were playing the oldies from 50 years ago today. And every once in a while we say, here's that new one from Neem Bleeder. And we'd play a new song <laughs> that was like, you know, probably some electronic piece that nobody knew, but it was like, yeah. <laughs> that's fun. I mean, that sounds, it yeah. was amazing. It yeah. was amazing. And we got front page you know, coverage on the Denver newspapers, the TV stations came up and they wanted to know what was going on. They were showing us and we were wearing these weird kind of <laughs> futuristic costumes and all it, in. Everybody we, was all in. We, That's we, great. Yeah. We reinvented time. You know, we instead we said this 12, why is it 12 hours? It's, it's crazy. Let's make it 10 hours and 10 hours for the whole day. We don't want to have two 12 o'clocks and whatever. So I mean, we, we, it was like nothing you've ever heard. It was so successful that year that our listeners came to expect us to do it every, every <laughs> April Fool's Day. And so we kind of relaunched it. Don't set the bar that high. What are you, crazy? <laughs> <laughs> yes. uh, those kinds of things that got us uh, attention in the in the Denver media, that really uh, helped us get to number one. Uh, I mean, because, yeah. you know, I mean, we didn't have a big advertising budget, but we sure did things that got attention. Let's go back. Well, we're still... Oh, yeah. We're, we're, yeah, we're talking songs. All right. <laughs> uh, this is the 2006 entry into the Australian Recording Industry Hall of Fame. <laughs> this is world, the world famous Ice House. Oh, I loved Ice House. Do you love oh. Ice House? Okay. Tell me about so Ice good. House. <laughs> Why? So we played this song across the border at KBCO. I mean, we had a lot bigger songs from Ice House for sure in, in their history. But yeah, we played this uh, across the border when it came out. So Ice House was a big band with us. I mean, our, our listeners loved it. I'm sure they came into the station. Yeah. Because you were probably the only, I mean, I would imagine probably BCO was the only station in Denver playing them. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. And did, did you, you know, and did your you, shows did well did, in Denver. Yeah. Did they play, I mean, when did uh, like bands playing at the station, was? did you do that initially or what? When did that happen? Yeah, I mean, that started in the 80s. We, we used to have the, uh, the artists come by for interviews. So we had, um, 
you know, we had Stevie Ray Vaughan come in the studio and he sat there and he had a guitar on his lap and he was just strumming and playing a few things, but didn't play, you know, a song in its entirety. It was a hot summer day when Melissa Etheridge came by uh, to do an interview at the station and she had her guitar with her and she didn't want to leave it in the hot car. So she walked into the station with a guitar strapped on her back. And when she walked in, I said, oh, you have your guitar. Would you like to play? couple of songs and she said that's great so uh we set up the production room which was studio c we set it up so that she could go in there and perform and we did the interview in the production room and had her perform a couple of songs and that's how it got started and then from then on we started calling them studio c sessions and then when artists came by you know we would ask them to play and then we built a an official studio that had you know lots of setups and and all of the backline and stuff that they needed and and it just became easy for them just to walk into the station and play we were doing two or three four four a week sometimes yeah those were iconic I, oh my god yeah, yeah. from studio c yep. uh, yep. you could still invite ice house because they're still active so uh yeah. Know, in case yeah. they're in case they're in uh, Flagstaff or, or Prescott. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Have them come into uh, the house. All right. Let's keep moving. Number 66. This is Holly's band. This is The Cure. This is right. a, this is a B-side, A Man Inside My Mouth, which mm -hmm. did you listen to that song? I did. Um, and, you know, we played. Uh, I don't know if you remember the first Cure albums that came out like in the 70s and early 80s, but they were like a totally different band very kind of like slow and we played a lot of that stuff i mean we played the cure right from the beginning i don't remember playing this particular song but we sure had a lot of cure on the station for sure What were the big songs for you guys? Love song, Friday I'm in love. You know, I mean, you know, let's go to bed. And, you know, I mean, a lot of the deeper cuts, you know, I mean, yeah, we played a lot of Cure. So at BCO or anywhere else, did you flip yeah. it on the other, like, oh, this A side's okay. Let's see what's on the B side. And then you flip and then you played that instead. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, we were getting 45s. Like, I remember uh, Silver Spring by Fleetwood Mac. Oh, okay. It was a B-side. Yeah. And that was a big, big song for us. Urge for Going by Joni Mitchell was a B-side. There were a lot of good songs being put on B-sides in the 70s and 80s. George Harrison had the song Not Guilty that was not on any of his albums, but it was a fantastic song. And it was, uh, you know, it was on a B-side. Yeah. So we played it. And the DJs yeah. had to remember to flip it to from 33 to 45 when they played it. Otherwise, you'd get a song at the wrong speed. A whole different song. You yeah. The opposite of B-side is a ginormous hit, and that's number 65. This is Wang Chung. Everybody have yeah. fun tonight. I drive a million miles to be with you tonight. So if you feel the song become too popular that it's like, oh, we can't play it anymore. <laughs> this is too popular. Did you have that idea? Um, I wouldn't say too popular. I would say, you know, cause I don't have a problem with playing popular or, songs or burnout, but, but yeah. this is a novelty 
And, you know, novelties burn. It's like a joke. The first time you hear it, it's really funny. And the 10th time you hear it, it's like, okay, it's not so funny anymore. <laughs> and so everybody Wang Chung tonight, it was really cute. Yeah, we played the hell out of it for a little while, but, you know, it was a novelty. It just, it just didn't warrant playing, you know, in the library for years. Okay. Uh, the song that kept it out was Walk Like an Egyptian. Did you view that as a novelty as well? Yeah, same did, thing, but also a fun song. Right. Yeah, I don't yeah. have I don't have any problems with playing novelty songs, but you can't treat them the same way you treat like a, you know, a serious song because it's going to burn. It's just going to get old. We're very conscious of that. Dave, Holly, how do you feel about this song? I I could hear it today. I still like it. <laughs> I still, still want to Wang Chung tonight. I don't care. <laughs> I'm all in. I have a whole new appreciation since since we we saw them play at an at an eighties festival and we got Dave and I talked to them for for a little while. I have a whole new appreciation for them. They are great, really great musicians and good guys. And this is so, it's just so funny when I hear this stuff now because I was not a huge fan back in the day. They were novelty songs to me too, and I didn't feel like they had longevity. Although I guess they do. I was reading in Song Facts that about all the bands that have referred to themselves in songs like Big Country and Bad Company. Right. But this is the only hit song we knew of where the band name was used as a verb. <laughs> yeah. That's cute. <laughs> I like that. Everybody Wang Chung to yep. Yeah. That's right. All right. You say burn, but you didn't do much research. Was it burn within the, the audience or were you researching this? How did, how can you tell when a song is burning? It was all gut. Okay. It was all like, this is, you know, and, and, you know, we, we would talk, we had, we had our weekly music meeting and we would get the whole staff together and listen to music and talk about music. And, you know, I mean, I was definitely, you know, always reminding them that, Hey, you listen to the station different than most listeners. You're hearing songs many more times than they're hearing them. So just when you're starting to get tired of song, they're starting to love it, but there's going to be a point where some songs they're going to get tired of too. And so, yeah, we took a lot of that into a lot of that into account. We had a lot of music discussions about this kind of stuff. Okay. So to say like, Wing Chang, when it was number two peaking, you could not hear that on, on BCO is what I'm guessing. Um, I wouldn't say that, no? but I would say, you know, at some point, if it was really saturated in the market and it was getting played, you know, it was getting played every hour and a half on the top 40 stations. Uh, yeah. At that point would go, yeah, maybe we shouldn't be playing this so much anymore. Did you have to be first to play it or did you accept like, oh, oh, okay, this is going to be a hit. We should play this. We tried to be first. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, We tried to introduce and that's still true today, but every once in a while we'll miss one and, you know, and we'll go, okay, we'll give in, we'll play it. Uh, An example, Queensryche Silent Lucidity, you know, we weren't the Queensryche station. Nobody expected to hear that band on our station, but that was such a great song that we said, we got to play this. And so we did because the sound was perfect for us. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. I like that. Let's move on. Number 64, uh, the psychedelic furs, pretty in pink. Yeah. So I didn't realize that there was another version besides the original, because that's the only one I know. Oh yeah. And that's the one we played and that's the one that's still being played today. And then I went, I said, there's another version. I went and I looked it up and sure enough, there's like a smoother, slicker version. Right. Now you played the right one. Obviously, uh, psychedelic furs were a big band for us for sure. Yeah, John Hughes fan. I, I always ask everyone, do you like the soundtracks? Would you like because you know he was famous for having like these eclectic soundtracks? Were were you you know track by track and seeing what what you? What oh you yeah, play? yeah. I thought I thought the soundtracks were really good. 
I, I know Holly loves psych for her, so I don't need to ask her. <laughs> you All right. No wrong for me. Number 63, the Eurythmics, Missionary Man. Well, I was born an original sinner. I was born from original sin. And if I had a dollar bill for all the things I've done, there'd be a mountain of money pile up to my chin. Hey! I love their music, you know, right from the very first album. And uh, yeah, we played, we played the heck out of them. Did you like the progression of like this, the missionary, you know, this was kind of a, a different uh, look. They added more or yeah. yeah different. Or, or, definitely. It was definitely more rock for, than, right. than they'd been doing. Yeah. It was, it was great for us. It was a great song. Yeah. I was surprised to see that this peaked at number 14 on the, on the pop charts, but it hit number one on the rock charts. This was. Yeah. Yeah. Something it's a that rock you, song. Yeah. Something yeah. after hearing sweet dreams, you wouldn't expect this would be a yeah. band that rock, that rock radio would embrace, but clearly it was. Yeah, it's true. Holly, do you remember, uh, I put uh, Jimmy Z as played harmonica. Do you know anything about this guy? I feel like I should remember. I'm drawing a blank. I'm telling, oh. just because we met him. I wanted to see if. Yes. I, at, the, at the music, yeah. At the, 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 si- the signing event, for Genius Her Shrock. book release. Yes. Oh, yeah. that's cool. Yeah. I love, I love that harmonica is so much better than saxophone in the eighties. I love, yeah, I got sick of hearing sax every song. <laughs> Number 62, the smithereens behind the wall of sleep. Oh yeah. Uh, love the smithereens. Oh, right. Yeah. Such a great band. And yeah, this is a great song too. I wasn't familiar with Jeannie Shrimpton. Was she, I would imagine <laughs> in 1965 that you were aware of this, uh, of this model. I think I'm guessing as a a 17 year old, I didn't recognize her at all. So, you know, good, good on him on finding a, you know, somebody to write a song about. That's cool. (laughs) Fits lyrically. Yeah. This was one of those out al- like a debut album where it's like you hear it and I love every yeah. song off it. It's just amazing. Yeah. I, I would imagine that you kind of was this same with you. I mean, what, did yeah. you you dug into into this? Oh album? yeah, the debut album was amazing. Yeah, I mean, they made great records. They just sounded really great on the radio. Smithereens. Yeah, you still play them today. I mean, this was on Enigma. Were you uh, going through crates at all, or trying to find anything, or was it? You know, yeah. whatever came into the yeah. station. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we we got serviced, and yeah, we'd we'd spend hours listening to records. Yeah, I mean, that's how we discovered things. Do you have a favorite? You know, like a debut album. This was the first album from the Smithereens. I was just curious if, uh, like, one of your favorite upon first wow. hearing it, like this is now this is my band from now on. Oh boy. Well, I mean, I was. I was enamored with U2 right from their first album, Coldplay's first album. I mean, yeah, I mean, I think about a lot of the a lot of the debut albums from bands. I mean, for me, the first Beatles album I heard, Meet the Beatles, was like, oh my god! You know, yeah. of course, that was the American Americanized version of the Beatles, but it's what we got. Yeah. Okay. Hope to hear that about U2 and Beatles. I guess that's inevitable, right? That's- yeah. Yeah. Are you going to Vegas? Do you have any interest in going to Vegas to see U2? Is that something? No, 
No. <laughs> no. Okay. I, I've seen you two, like from the beginning when they were, you know, playing small clubs to stadium shows. I mean, I've seen a lot of amazing U2 shows. So I don't need to go to Vegas to see them. So have you seen them at Red Rocks? Uh, yes. I, yes. The Red Rocks under the Bud Red Sky. That, that was our radio station was sponsoring that show. Our DJ Doug out there doing reports on the radio and it's somewhere in the three, four in, in the afternoon. He said, the show's canceled. So don't come. Meanwhile, there were already 3,000 people because Red Rocks was uh, general admission. So people would get there early to get good seats. And it was foggy. You couldn't see the stage from the seats. They came out. They had all their filming equipment there because they were going to film the show. So they came out and they did, what, eight, nine songs. They said, we're just going to come out and play the songs. We're going to do the real show tomorrow night, but you guys are here already. So we're just going to perform these songs. And they filmed those nine songs with Bono's breath and the fog. And if it had been a typical clear Colorado night, that video would have been just a normal video. But the fact that that weather was such a factor, it really made it really special. Give me something on Venus, on Bananarama's Venus, number 61. I I was a big fan of the original song. So uh, that was in my formative years when when, uh, the Shocking Blue version was out. So yeah, I loved their remake. So, and we played it a lot. ever compare and contrast like you know do you have oh yeah did you have special yeah, shows we do like that the- we do that uh we do a daily Covers. feature here called double take uh, on kbna and we play two versions of the same song and uh you know it's the contrast between the early and late version and you know sometimes we'll do hurt by nine inch nails and johnny cash back to back to show how one song can be you know completely reinvented and it's it's really fun to to play them back to back and compare them yeah well, yeah. you're st- still making radio fun. So thanks a lot, Dennis. I really appreciate you, you spending yeah. the time with us. This was a lot of fun. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Thank you. Thank I appreciate you for taking it. extra time. Yeah. Yeah. No worries. All right, Holly. That was radio visionary Dennis Constantine. What do you think? I so enjoyed chatting with Dennis. I loved hearing about his career, how he started and some freeform radio and the AAA format, all the stuff that we know and love, the things that lured us into the whole radio here. Yeah, those were glory days indeed. I think the doors were closing by the time we got in. <laughs> yeah, barely. We, we, it's like we stuck our foot into the crack and yeah. kept it open just a little bit. If you have a AAA station in your neighborhood, they're worth checking out because that's how we discover new music, isn't it? It absolutely is. And Dennis had a big hand in, in uh, creating those stations. Yes, indeed he did. Uh, We have a big hand in creating podcast content. How do they find that? We certainly do. You can find us on social media at WDDIM Podcast and on YouTube at What Difference Does It Make Podcast, where you will be able to see Dennis and his super cool studio at home. Very nice. Uh, Please remember to subscribe. Uh, We are a proud member of the Pantheon Podcast Network. So look over their vast network of podcasts. But first, subscribe to ours before you subscribe to anybody else's. Although they they do fine work, too. But we do do really good work. So subscribe, please. We do super fine work. Yeah, super fine. That's that's how I refer to myself as super fine. New episodes every Friday, which is why you you should subscribe, because who knows who's going to show up next week? I don't. No idea. We'll see. Well, Uh, I have an idea, but I'm not telling anybody. Okay, keep it quiet. (laughs) So until that time, until next week, this is Dave. This is Holly. Check you later. Over and out. Over and out.